The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Jenny Brown, MSW, uh, author of Growing Yourself Up, How to Bring the Best to All of Life's Relationships. Jenny was trained at Columbia University and is now director of the Family Systems Institute in Sydney, Australia. And uh, she's going to show us, and she does this in her book, but this is what we're going to be talking about this morning, how to find our inner adult and develop the genuine maturity necessary to sustain relationships through every stage of our lives, growing up, leaving home, marriage, parenting, work, divorce, midlife, and aging. So that's a daunting task. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Jenny. Thank you, Catherine. Very nice to be with you. All right, so growing yourself up. Never quite thought about it that way. I like a good title for the book. Um, mm-hmm. How to bring the best to all of life's relationships. What does that mean for us as individuals? How do we grow ourselves up and what's the significance of having these, the best of all of life's relationships throughout these different stages well, of life? Yeah, well, they do go together to grow our maturity beyond what happens naturally through our biology to really be the best that we can be in terms of having a satisfying and fulfilling life throughout every stage. The key, as I see it, is to do it in our important relationships. I see that relationships are the very best laboratory for growing our maturity and our resilience in life. And I've had the good fortune when I lived and studied in the U.S. in the 1990s to come across Dr. Murray Bowen's theory of human behavior and his concept of differentiating a self. So that's where I got interested in this idea of a particular path to maturity through being an individual, fully autonomous while fully connected to important others. So this really important balance of being our own person and being meaningfully connected to the important people in our lives. So... All, the, all of these relationships, I, what you're saying is they're just are integral to the individual so that we can increase our own self-awareness and grow to maturity in a very positive way. It doesn't seem like many, it, you know, many of us are able to do that. Um, you, when you talk about relationships, you know, the divorce rate is higher than it's ever been. 
Um, mm. People have, you know, drug addictions, or, you know, or not just drugs, but addiction, addictive behavior is a problem. So it seems kind of as, as a culture, as a society maybe, as a universal society, we're not doing that. We are not, for some reason, not being able to maximize those relationships in a really healthy emotional way. So I guess we've got to kind of start. Where do we start? How do we do that? Yeah, oh, it's a big question, isn't it? And all <laughs> it was a of long those question. trends. <laughs> yeah, the the trends you mentioned, Catherine, we see the the exactly the same ones here in Australia. Um, and I think what what bone theory helped me appreciate is there are patterns that we do without awareness to deal with the stress of life and relationships that without us realizing it, they, they don't help us along the way. So when a relationship is difficult, we're prone to distance. When we're feeling frustrated with another rather than talk to them directly, we're prone to triangle or divert our complaint or our worry to a, a safe third party rather than be open and honest with our parent or with our partner or with our child or whoever is the important person. We naturally, to deal with the stress of life, tend to avoid being ourselves in the important relationships. So it's kind of counterintuitive to mature in relationships. It, it means stepping into where it's anxiety-provoking rather than look for the easy way out. And okay, I'm going to stop I you there because I, I, that, I yeah, think that's, there's that's a lot important there. stuff that you just mentioned. And I think mm-hmm. for maybe listeners to understand it, let's give mm-hmm. examples because let's you know take it back. You talked about. Um, you know, if we're having difficulty with someone in a relationship, rather than to really engage with that person, we distance ourselves. Well, we're not solving the problem, or we're not dealing with the person. So, give us an example. Like, what? How? What do we do? And give you know a real specific example, just in everyday life that you know that we most of us uh, have encountered. Yeah, well, I can think, I imagine most of us can think of something yesterday that happened with someone we're working with or someone in our family that we came home to. And we just, I I can think of a relationship with a colleague of mine at work and um, they were complaining about something and I felt kind of stirred up about their complaint And rather than say, let me understand that a little more because it just sounds like you're not understanding me and to talk directly to my colleague about what I was hearing, listen to them and then say, well, here's how I see it. I see it differently to you. And that can bring a bit of tension into the relationship and my natural tendency, and I think most of us as humans, we tend to avoid those conversations. And so I just kind of sat on it and I thought to myself, I need to make, make a time and have a coffee with her and sit down and we can talk that through. So simple everyday examples of those little avoidant moments that when you do them over months and then years, the relationship becomes more superficial and we get disillusioned with it, we get negative towards the other person 
and we don't realize how we've actually contributed to what we are frustrated with in another person. So that's another key part of building maturity is seeing that we've played a part. We haven't intentionally played a part in our dissatisfactions, but when we can stop and observe ourselves in our relationships, there's so much to learn about that pattern of either distancing or the classic triangle of... A family member might seem quite stressed out. I might think of one of my adult, one of my siblings. Perhaps my brother has called me and is quite stressed about a family gathering. And it's so easy in that situation to immediately just kind of debrief with my husband or with another of my sisters and saying, oh, my brother, he's so stressed, he makes this difficult. And when it, the beauty, well, it's not the beauty, the, the trap is that when we divert the relationship tension to somebody, to a third party, we do feel less stressed about it. It calms us down, but I'm sure you and and those listening can recognize that it doesn't resolve anything. And yeah, I mean, in those a way, are two, mature... yeah, those are two great examples, mm. both of which I'm relating to, um, mm-hmm. and I think uh, and I think most people can. I mean, so how and so then we have to retrain ourselves because I guess the two examples you gave, um, Jenny, nothing good can come of it. I mean, distancing yourself from the person and not like the example at work. I mean, if you distance yourself and you don't resolve it or you don't talk to that person, nothing good can come of the situation. And and the second example, too, having difficulty with your brother or your sister, and instead of actually talking to them, you talk to the other brother or sister about them <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and calms you down for the moment, as you said. So we understanding that nothing good can come of that. We have to, what, retrain ourselves and and as you talk, be aware that we're doing that and then take the other approach, the positive approach? Yeah, yep. Uh, the, the challenge in all of this is that those patterns, distancing, triangling, and there are other patterns that come out of Bowen's research, all of them serve to calm us down, which is why we keep doing them. So I, I'm with you, Catherine. They don't bring any good in the relationship or in the long term. But we keep doing them, these repeated patterns, because they do lower our relationship anxiety. So it's tough to change them. And I think appreciating that they work that way, they, they settle us down, there's nothing more calming than finding a third party to agree with our position about that person out, out there who's been difficult in our life. It doesn't bring any resolution, but it does calm us down. So the, there is no, unfortunately, I can't say there is a simple set of three easy techniques to change this. And, and the message of the book, Growing Yourself Up, is it's like running a marathon rather than a sprint. This is an effort that is gradual, and it starts with observing ourselves 
in our important relationships. And even though it's slow, the progress and gradual because we fall back into old patterns that we've learnt in our family of origin, we keep doing it, keep falling back and slipping up. When you can understand the patterns, they kind of become interesting rather than frustrating. And with awareness, we can practice making different choices. So we want so, to get so away that's the path. Get away from those short-term solutions, which do in the in in the immediate they immediately help to calm us down. But in the long term, yeah. they don't. They just kind of put yeah. everything off. But we're really not mm-hmm. resolving the issues, whatever the issue is in the relationship. Um, mm-hmm. So awareness, I get. Well, that's the first step. We have to be aware. First of all, yeah. we have to be aware that we're doing this and that it's not working. Uh, distancing ourselves, Agreed. trying, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about observing is it takes our brain out of our anxious limbic system into our thinking brain. If you're observing yourself, it reduces your reacting and and just operating out of the fear system or the anger system or the strong emotion system. So the next time any of us are going into a, rela- a relationship system, going home to maybe a, a little bit of an unsteady marriage or a difficult relationship with a teenager or one of our parents, whatever relationship we're going back into sometime today, rather than try to fix anything or avoid or gossip about it, the, what I have found really useful is to be a researcher of what happens for us in that relationship, what stirs us up, what is our re- usual reaction, and what might happen if we just do something differently. And the most important question for me in my own efforts to grow up is to ask myself, what's that other person up against? having to relate to me. It's so easy just to point the finger at the difficult other or the other that we're so worried about and we think they need to grow up. But if, if we can reverse it, I've really found that valuable over the many years in my own life to just think, what would it be like for my daughter when I get really worried about her? What's it like from for my husband when I tend to take over? Those kind of things are, are the, the the they're not magical quick fixes, but they re- they really shift the path in a relationship. Uh, you know, I'm relating to that, and, and I have um, and, and actually just happened uh, last week in my own family having my grown children come home for an extended period of time. Now, they're used to being mm-hmm. in their own apartments and doing what they do or however they do it, and now they're in my home, but it's I want it to be their home as well because they're my kids. Mm-hmm. But uh, And we get locked into these, well, you know, Ma, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that and doing it this way? Okay, and you really can get locked into these kinds of battles uh, mm-hmm. and... Rather, and not sit down, I guess is what you're saying, and let's talk about where each one of us is coming from. I think that's, you know, that's fairly common in that kind of situation. 
Yes, it is. Yeah. And yeah. that's difficult. And it, yeah, and that reactivity. I mean, how many people I've I've have have you heard say, I go back home to my parents' place and it's like I'm thirteen again. Yeah. You walk through and, the door and, and suddenly you become thirteen or even six. Yes. Or eight or yes. ten. Yeah. yeah. All of the the effect that we have such a powerful effect on each other in our families and important relationships. And I but Jenny, I have to ask you this. Really what about, um, can you ever, like, you know, as you say, let's say, uh, the, like say the g- example I gave, good, uh, you know, grown children coming home and having to negotiate your household in a different way. And it, but it is comforting to call my girlfriend and she'll say, oh yeah, you know, my kids were home and the same thing happened. Can that ever be helpful? I mean, can, there's a balance there, isn't it? You can get support, but at oh. the same time, you don't use just, you know, calling up a friend or, uh, to, you know, agree with you in terms of, you know, whatever the d- discussion or the argument was. I mean, you can do both, can't you? Or Yeah, great point. And triangles are not a bad thing. It's not this kind of rule, thou shalt now, not ever talk to a yep. third party. Uh, <laughs> our friends are a great resource to us, and being able to talk things through and have a sounding board in somebody who's a bit more removed from the situation is so helpful for trying to figure things out. Um, the, what I try to do to work out whether I'm using a third party to just kind of figure things out for myself and how I could handle things better rather than just vent about the other, I ask myself if the person I'm talking about to my friend was standing in this room right now, would I still be saying what I'm saying? Good. That's a great... How's that one? Yeah, barometer, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it, it just helps me check whether I'm just being destructive in being negative or building up more worry. I mean, we can really do a relationship in by over-worrying about another just as much as over-criticizing another. So it's just really useful in those third-party conversations, including if we have a therapist or a coach or a supervisor and you talk about the difficulties you're having with a a person outside of the situation, it is helpful to do it if it helps us to work on ourselves rather than make a project out of trying to change or blame another. Well, let's go the over-worrying because I think that's a... I mean, I think that happens... obviously, a lot, maybe most mm-hmm. of the time. And it's under the guise of whether it's your spouse or your children or somebody close to you in your family, um, you know, siblings. It's, I'm worrying because I care about you, because I love you, because I, you know, you have all these reasons why, you know, I, I'm, I'm so concerned. But really it has to do sometimes with control. It really has nothing to do with the safety or the health of the person you tell, are worrying about, but it's your own anxiety and your own maybe wanting to control. Um, you know, talk to us about that situation because I think that's pretty common. Yeah, well, I've talked about the pattern of distance and the pattern of triangling and this over-worrying or over-responsibility is a, another key pattern that 
Bowen theory, and I try to translate it into everyday language in the book that I've written because it's hard stuff to get your head around, but it is so useful to think that over-caring, over-helping, over-thinking for another, over-doing for another can really crowd their space to be their best selves, whether that's a child or an adult child. I've got adult children as well, so I relate to that issue of they come home and they talk about a a decision they're trying to make, and I just want to jump in and give them advice rather than just stand back. And, And I try, one of my principles that I try to work on, I'm not always successful, but I try to never give advice until I have heard the other's best advice that they're giving to themselves. So I have a 28-year-old daughter who's trying to make a decision about spending money for a, a big holiday, and she's asking my advice. And the tendency is to just go in and say, well, I'm, I, have you thought about your budget and you're trying to save money? But I just pull myself back and remember that I need to respect that she's got plenty of resources to make her own decisions and that the best way I can support her is to be interested in how she's thinking about the decision and, and how she's weighing it up and, and what's really attractive about this idea and um, where she's leading to in the decision. And usually when we do that in a relationship, we're genuinely interested in how the other is working through their own problem. Then we're a wonderful resource to them, and they don't feel crowded and suffocated by us. Yeah, I think that's yeah, a common yeah, problem. And when you talk about advice, it's advice. It's. It, I think when you give advice, that's all you're giving. You're not telling them mm-hmm. this is what you have to do. This is just one way of looking at it, given what you've told me. And I I think that's another thing with adult children. When the kids are home or the children are at home, you pretty much know what their decisions are based on because you're taking care of them. But, you know, when you Mm -hmm. get the phone call from your adult children, what about this? You don't have, usually you don't have the full picture. You're not living with them. Mm -hmm. There's other circumstances. So you really don't, your advice is just that based on what they're telling you. Is that clear? Yes, absolutely. I mean, advice has its place, but not if it crowds the other person's own space for working through their own thinking, their best thinking, their best maturity. So one of the, the messages of being more mature in relationships is making sure that we don't impinge on another person's growing up. So it's a back and forth thing. Being grown up ourselves is also about allowing people around us to grow to be their very best. How do you do that? In a, okay, we've been talking about children. Uh, what mm-hmm. about spouses or partners? How, how does it, because it's a little, you're yeah. equal, you know, it's a different kind of a relationship, obviously. Sure. It's an equal relationship, uh, and we get stuck there, obviously, um, really stuck. So how, do the, how does it work when you're talking about partners? Well, I do think that intimate 
committed relationships are the hardest ones to stay within our boundaries. It's so easy in the close, long-term relationship to... We can be our shiny best during courtship, and most of us are, and then the same things that we found attractive during the early days become the things that disappoint us or trigger our worry, and then all of those patterns of distancing, triangling rather than dealing with things openly, and moving into this very common pattern in marriages and committed relationships of an over and under functioning where one person does too much on behalf of both of them and they can end up looking like the kind, either the controlling one or the, the one who's really rational in the relationship and the other one kind of gives up being themselves in the relationship to let the other one do for them and think for them and make decisions for them. And that is one of the most common patterns that erodes a relationship and has one partner really struggling because they've given up their maturity to let the other spouse be in charge. And it can is that go because with when they start gender. Is that because it, it, they're, it's easier or it feels easier? They give up in the beginning? You know, you talk about when they're dating or even living together. Sometimes mm-hmm. couples live together for years and they're fine, and then they get married and something else happens oh. for whatever reason. Uh, and, and I'm not yeah. sure what that is. But um, as you say, the things that maybe were exciting to the person and, you know, different, um, uh, made them feel good. But then once you're in this committed relationship, things change and somehow you don't like that stuff. And um, Mm. so uh, how do you prevent it, I guess, from, you know, happening so that doesn't happen? You don't establish these bad patterns that don't really, you know, and uh, end up in separation, divorce, all kinds of nasty things. Yeah. Well, let me give an example because it can all get a little bit too complex, can't it? All of these different patterns and you grasp at one moment and then it becomes confusing the next. But uh, two brief examples. One, I, I think of a couple that I've worked with clinically and they had been married for over 25 years. They had three children in their teenage years. And they had been in conflict from the word go, from just from the honeymoon on, just patterns of high conflict and then distancing and avoiding each other. And I remember a real breakthrough when the husband said, I've been thinking all these years that it's my wife who's got to change, that she's the one who's been bossing me around, she's been too hard on me. And I've just been playing the victim, and every now and then I just just vent and shout at her and tell her what I think. And he said, as he was thinking through this pattern that he just kept repeating, that it's just time for me to stop blaming her and bring a little bit more maturity and stop being the victim in this relationship. And when somebody in a relationship can take the focus 
of it being the other one who needs to change, who needs to treat me differently and to say, I'm part of this. I'm contributing to this pattern that we get into over and over again. It really is the start of a, a, a relationship that is on the brink of divorce, taking a whole different path. And I know from my own life that I've been married now for over 30 years and I have a tendency that I learned from the family I was in growing up. I was my mother's confidant and I was kind of trained to be a helper. And I took that pattern into my marriage and I've had to learn over the years that stepping in to help my husband diminishes his capacity to stand as an individual and show his own strength. It was a pattern I saw my mother do in my parents' marriage, and I've kind of fallen into, in the early days, repeating it myself. And my husband enjoyed how helpful I was in the early days, but over the years it diminishes the equality of a relationship and it's something that for over 20 years when I came across this theory that showed me the pattern I was caught in, I've been chipping away at it and it has really made a big difference to the equality and the friendship and the respect that I have in my marriage. Well, that is a great way to end our interview because that's really a mm-hmm. very upbeat way because not only are we talking about your book, but it's worked person- personally per- for you, not just you know scientifically. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really been a pleasure talking to you this morning. I want to mention the book again, Growing Yourself Up, How to Bring the Best to All of Life's Relationships. That's Jenny Brown, MSW. Um, great book. Um, Jenny, we can go online, buy it at bookstores everywhere, I assume. Um, but what, Indeed. What about a website? And, and Catherine, just very yes. briefly, I have yep. started a blog called okay. A Diary of Everyday Growing Up Opportunities. Oh, great. That okay. people can find. It's linked to the book, and it's just jennybrown.info. Terrific. Great. And there it is. So there another, that there's a little free resource to go with the book. Terrific. Thank you so much, um, Jenny My Brown. Uh, yeah, I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and uh, you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
We are broadcasting from the Phoenix studios at voiceamerica.com. Variety Channel, Going Global with Gas Man is the show that you are listening to. And joining me today is Sean Morley from the WWE, otherwise known as Val Venus, the big Val Boski. <laughs> Hello, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also got a third identification as well. He Absolutely. is Captain Cannabis. Live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific time on the voiceamerica.com variety channel. Going global with gas. Man. How the hell do they know that I got gas? Tune in every week for Sex Out Loud. Host Tristan Taramino will discuss everything from sexual pleasure to sexual politics. Get an insider's perspective from leaders in the adult film industry, the LGBT community, and the sex-positive world. From kink to non-monogamy, nothing is off-limits. Plus, you can call in to join the conversation. Sex Out Loud airs every Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, joining me is Dr. Eva Selhub. She's author of Your Health Destiny, How to Unlock Your Natural Ability to Overcome Illness, Feel Better, and Live Longer. Uh, she is a board-certified internist and lecturer in uh, medicine at Harvard Medical School. Uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. And we're going to call you Dr. Eva. That's right. Um, Otherwise, I think I'm my dad. Okay. <laughs> I don't want you to do that. Yeah, no. your, yeah. I can't have an identity crisis right now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Be your own physician. We're interviewing you. Um, in, uh, I, well, I like the title of your book, Your Health Destiny, How to Unlock Your Natural Ability to Overcome Illness, Feel Better, and Live Longer. Uh, who doesn't want to do that? But how do we do it? I we got to, you know, in a half an hour, we're going to tell everybody, how do you do this? How do you take control of your own health? Because I always think, you know, stuff happens to me. I get sick. I don't feel well. I have to react. I, you know, it's a reaction, too. I have to take care of it. Not that I'm so in control of my own health. Well, you know, I, it's, you know, this is always a fabulous question. You know, yesterday I spoke to 300 women and for you know, over three hours, and I could have, you know, talked for two hours, but... The gist is that you can get in a few minutes, which is essentially that on one hand, you know, your body's sending you signals all the time that if you learned the language of the body and you learned how to be quiet enough to hear it and pay attention, you could actually prevent a lot of problems from happening. But the, the thing to remember is the human body is designed to age and it's designed to, you know, have illness every once in a while because that's actually how it develops resilience and how it develops strength. Um, but the issue is, and you said it's, you know, the reaction happened, but we want to be responsive, not reactive. So it's not that we don't do anything if we do get sick, but it's looking at why did I get sick? What is it that I can change and what choices can I make so that I can respond to what's going on in, in, in a way that is going to nurture me to thrive rather than dive. You know, for instance, you know, people don't want to get sick because they have to work, but the body's letting you know that it needs the rest. 
It needs to uh, rest and recuperate. That's why, you know, you got a cold is because you haven't been resting. So it's telling you rest. It's not a bad thing. (laughs) So your body's telling you 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 want to take medication. You're out of balance. Your body is out of balance. Listen to this, whatever, you know, and uh, you gave it, yeah. Or even if you have a headache. I mean, I think sometimes... Or something that's really not that bad or your leg hurts or, you know, you have aches and pains and you don't, well, are you supposed to respond to those all the time or sometimes or or not or react, no, yeah, be responsive, not reactive. It's like saying, you know, it's like saying that somebody's knocking at your door and I'm just going to ignore it. You know, it's, it's about finding out who is this person at my door, why are they here, and do I want to invite them in? So, you know, your body's, you know, whispering to you constantly about an imbalance. That's, that's how the stress people think is a bad thing, but stress is actually how the body signals itself that it's out of balance. So uh, in, in physiological terms, hunger is a stress. It's just that you solve it. And so the body gives you signals constantly and says, I'm out of balance. It's what we call stress. And that could be, you know, hunger. It could be cold. It could be fatigue. It could be, you know, you're worried about being late to work or paying your bills. It's, uh, you know, stress can take on all forms of the brain. It doesn't matter. What it wants you to do is fix it so it can get back into a state of balance, which we call homeostasis. So if you don't fix the problem, the body can't get into its state of balance, which means the stress load is going to increase. And if the stress load increases too much, the system can't regulate itself. The body is extremely resilient. It's brilliant. It's fascinating. I love it. But it can't do its job if it's overly stressed. So, you know, but if you do doctor, have a even, headache, do we give it yes. I have, do we give it a chance because when you get that headache or when you get the backache or whatever you get and your body's saying you it's a, hey, I'm out of balance, what do we do? We pop a pill. And That's so right. are we, you know, I've got a headache, I'm going to take an aspirin or even something stronger. I can't get to sleep. So what are you going to do? You take a, you know, there are a zillion different medications on the market that they try to they uh, the pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies so say take that and then you'll feel better. Right. So this is so this is how I look at it. Coming, from, you know, having studied the Eastern philosophies, healing modalities, and being a Western or allopathic medicine doctor, I bridge both worlds. And this is the thing, you know, if you have a really bad headache, you're not going to go to sleep and you're not going to be able to function. It's like, you know, you've got a bleeding wound. You've got to put a bandaid on it. So put a bandaid on it if you need to. Take that medication moment, you know, for that moment if you need to. But find out why you have that headache so it doesn't happen again. You know, do what you need. It's like when people are tired, they drink caffeine. They don't look at why am I tired. You know, like I said, I spoke to a group of 300 women yesterday. Not one of them raised their hands when I asked them, do you wake up feeling rested in the morning? That's not a good thing. 300 women, ranging of all ages, are walking around day to day. Not one of them raised their hand that they don't feel rested in the morning. That's huge. The capacity of the body to heal itself, the mind to think clearly, is dependent on that rest and relaxation and recovery period so that it can function and can deal with stress. So the question is, why not? Let's look and examine why am I not feeling that rested in the morning? Am I worrying before I'm going to bed? Do I have sleep apnea? Am I too stimulated? Am I not getting enough sleep? What can I do to change it? And this book details all of that. It's teaching people how to listen to the signals of the body, how to pay attention to the symptoms that are coming forward, what you can do about it, how you can restore, you know, relieve that problem, but also restore the body into its natural balance and then try to maintain it. 
Okay, so take, let's take some examples from the book, how we actually do that. Because it seems to me also what you're saying, if we kind of nip it in the bud and we do pay attention to what our body's telling us, maybe we won't get depressed or develop a clinical depression or cancer or even heart disease. You know, it's kind of on a, can be on a continuum. Um, that That's we right. do have, yeah, okay. Yeah, so the thing is to remember that the reason a disease happens is it, it takes multiple factors or multifactorial. It's not that we know exactly why one person got something. Genetics play a role, and then it's environment and everything else. So there's, you know, the first thing I want to say to readers about this book, this isn't about shame or blame. This is about, you know, taking what I have and working with it. You know, what's my wiggle room, and how do I improve my chances of thriving rather than diving? And so the exciting field of epigenetics tells us that our environment actually can change how our genes express themselves. So you could have a genetic predisposition for depression or heart disease, but if you nurture yourself and nurture your body in appropriate ways and make bright choices, you know, then that may not happen, or if you actually already have it, you can turn it around and not have it anymore. So, and we know that through the science, and we, I know that through my own clinical experience and my own personal experience having seen that. So, what I've done is I first explained to people, you know, what is, you know, the physiology, what is the physiology of stress? What is the physiology of the brain, of, of the genes and how they function, and, and also your thoughts, how positive expectation versus negative expectations affects that physiology and affects your, your health. And then the book is broken up into chapters that are, are, are separated by the you know, body system, so the gastrointestinal system, the cardiovascular system, etc., and each one of those chapters reviews the anatomy. So I use an, an acronym called POWER because this is about getting your power back. And so the first step is the P, which is pause. So you're so busy, you're so intent on, you know, getting to work, you know, getting things done, um, being something perfect or whatever, that you're not actually paying attention. We've lost the ability to really be in tune like children are to their feelings. And so the first step is to take a pause because you're not also going to be able to take in new information when you're under a lot of duress. And I teach people what's called power breath to sort of empty the mind, relax the body, to start being able to take in some new information without the stress of fear that normally comes in, especially when you're scared of, you know, what's going on with my body and you're really hard to hear things. So it's about sort of, you know, taking that pause and then O is optimizing your awareness and your knowledge. So in that section, I'm... I'm introducing people to the anatomy and physiology of that part of the body, and I do it in a way that isn't boring. Trust me, I worked on this really hard. Um, because I wanted you, I wanted people to understand to look at the at the body and and how it functions within the landscape of how your nature functions or nature functions itself. So, for instance, you know when you think about the heart. You know, you you know that it pumps blood. So, what are the functions? It, it both gives and receives. Right. It um, also has a natural rhythm. It opens and it closes. So we look at how good are you at, at receiving and giving? How good are you at, at maintaining a good rhythm in your life? How good are you at, you know, letting things in and closing things off that aren't good for you? So in the, in the discussion of the anatomy, I'm actually looking at a big picture of function so that you can have a theme in your head. And so then we move into W, which is witnessing your physiology. So this is where we get quiet. We do some breathing. It's a meditative or what we call mindfulness practice where we actually start paying attention to the, how the body speaks. 
and, you know, looking at that anatomy and seeing what you feel uh, physically, the sensations that the body is giving you, he is examining the underlying beliefs and emotions. So once we do that, we go deeper into that. What is the body showing me about my feelings, my beliefs related to my life, related to me, related to my stress, related to this particular issue? And there's a lot of exercises in looking at that and uncovering what's happening on that level. Now, throughout this, I'm also explaining how wisdom traditions might look at this part of the body so that, again, it's all tying into the functions, all tying into a bigger picture of viewing that part of your body or viewing yourself as as a, a, a big whole picture of wanting to be able to thrive and move smoothly in your life. And then the last part is, is about the, you know, restoring the body back into its natural state of balance. So what we need to do is release whatever toxins or whether they're thoughts or habits that we need to let go of um, or release pain that we're holding on to and relieve, get into a natural state of relief so that we can restore that balance. And so that part of the, of the chapter is going to be loaded with information about the nutrition that's good for you and that's part of the system and why, again, related to the functions, the whole picture, the exercise, the meditation, um, what have you, social support. So everything is sort of geared into how can I make this part of me stronger. Okay. So to accomplish all of that power, obviously we read the book, but people <laughs> say, listeners are saying, well, okay, but boy, it seems like a lot of homework. How can I do that? I mean, do I do this every day? Do I you know, is it some? It's, it sounds kind of. Is it too tedious? Or you get in the pattern, it becomes spontaneous. It just kind of happens because you kind of you train yourself to to uh, to respond in that way to your body. It doesn't. It doesn't become homework, for instance. Right. Well, the, the thing is, is that this is a process. You know, the, the thing is, is, you know, there's a million diet books out there, a million relationship books out there, you know, a million self-help books out there. And yet we live in a world where their obesity is rampant, depression is higher than ever. You know, nobody's managing their stress. So uh, how good are those books? Right. And so I yeah. ask that question when I write these things, you know, what's the point? And for me, it's saying you're not going to get rid of any of these habits Unless you, you know, it's like trying to stop a shiver when it's cold outside. You have to reset the thermostat, and that takes time. There's no shame or blame. It's about awareness. It's becoming aware on a daily basis, non-judgmentally, of what choices I'm making and why, and then it, taking some time to examine those those issues every once in a while. And what I have people do is, you know, try this particular way of eating. Do it for a couple of weeks. See how you feel. And what happens is you get addicted to feeling good. And that's when we start creating new habits. This is a positive process. It's a fun process. You can do it when you like. I've had people who get got the audio book, and which you know I'm reading the whole thing, so they get me. I get to keep them company for a long time. But then they went and go and get the hard copy because they want to keep it as a reference book because it's not something you know you can pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. It's always going to be there for a reference. You don't have to do it all. But what you want to do is develop the practice that's in there, which is quite simple of just paying attention. As you go through your day, what am I craving? And why am I craving this? And is this going to help me thrive or is it going to cause me to dive? And that's really what you just want to keep asking yourself. Start looking at your life as what is and who is, you know, what circumstance, what person, what environment helps me thrive and the opposite, what causes me to dive? What allows me to be fueled to be at my best? And that's okay, if you, you ask give us that a, question... Okay. And you I want to. You know, it's easier. I have a question because you talk about obesity, and 
in, in that, uh, that was the example. But what about, because you say that you could, let's take a really serious disease like cancer. How does, mm-hmm. I mean, can you prevent it or, or can you, once you are diagnosed and you have it, how does this work in that context? Um, well, again, this is about understanding, you know, how and why cancer happens, which is variable for every individual. You know, some people have the genetic predisposition and there's not a lot of wiggle room. But, you know, once you actually go through the treatment, there's wiggle room in, you know, allowing your system to actually be more powerful in working with whatever treatment you're getting to actually work. You know, when you're under a tremendous amount of stress, it's going to cause, you know, you're going to need more medication to have the same effect. So, you know, it's not about actually knowing why something happened to any particular person, but it is knowing, you know, around the research and around what we know that there is a way to prevent it, you know, by removing the toxins, by, you know, again, this is an epigenetic process. We've, they've looked at even the meditation practice, Herb Benson did, looking at um, how genes actually change expression in, in breast cancer patients with, you know, a daily dose of meditation. Um, so we know that symptoms can improve with women who take tamoxifen, which is a medication that they take after when they're diagnosed with breast cancer that can cause hot flashes and, and menopause, and that the meditation practice actually reduces the intensity and frequency of those symptoms. So the ability of the immune system to work properly means you have to sleep a lot, you have to feed it the right foods, you have to reduce the amount of inflammation that's happening, and you, you, I mean, you really have to give it a chance to do its work, which means tons and tons of nurturance and tons and tons of rest. So if you're not doing that, it can't do its job that well, either in prevention or in treatment. Yeah, well, it seems to us, it seems to me as a culture, we're doing really the, I mean, we're doing a 180 from that. We don't sleep enough. Exactly. I don't know, every time I read something, the research is we, we know people, we don't get enough sleep. So, and, and that's number one, as you're saying, the body needs an opportunity to rest. So we, I mean, the, and that's one thing uh, I want to comment on. But another thing is, you know, how do you get away from, you know, people, if you talk about meditation, um, you know, the average person is kind of, well, you know, that's kind of like hokey. It doesn't really fit into hmm. the, you know, you have to, there has to be some kind of a real, and your book is going to do this, uh, attitude change toward. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the first part is, you know, you're not going to do it if you don't like it. I'm fully aware of that. You know, and one of the, my first book called The Love Response was actually discovering that the state of love actually mimics the meditative state so that you actually don't need to do it as long and you can actually bring it through through the day through positive expectation. So if you just focus on, you know, a beautiful image or somebody that you love or, you know, a positive experience and you do that for 10, 20 minutes, you actually can get the same physiological effect or through the mindfulness practice. So what I introduce people is through different practices, but most people when they're starting, you know, I give them guided meditations. I have plenty of CDs, and like I said, this book is, you know, an audio book. And what you do is you just don't have to do anything. You just listen, and we start with two minutes, and then you or one minute, and then you move on to ten minutes. And if you like it, you can go for longer. The more you do it, the better. But it's about engaging you in doing things you like. If you don't like it, you're not going to do it. There's no point in forcing yourself. But you need to try it first. And it can, can you give us an example of one of your most resistant patients, and then as a success story, someone who perhaps didn't want to do this or was reluctant or, you know, whatever. Yeah. 
Yes. yes. <laughs> well, fortunately, you know, I have a selection bias because most of the people that come to me are ready to do the work, but not always because, you know, I usually, I often have parents send me their children. <laughs> who, who are, who, I, I mean, the first thing I say to them is, you don't know why you're here, do you? And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, the first thing, again, I start with, let's take a pause and let me give you some information. Let's start with knowledge first. So the knowledge actually starts creating a, a mind shift where they start becoming curious. So the first thing we want to do is create curiosity. So, yes, I've had actually many patients who come in and saying, oh, I don't want to do this. Um, I don't know why I'm here. Or they just want to use the session as a therapy session, which I tell them I'm not a therapist. I won't do that. But I start talking to them about stories. So we all have a story of our suffering. and We all have a story of our success and our resilience. And we get to choose which one that is. And then what I do with them, and this, and again, I haven't, you know, Every this has flipped everybody around. I mean, my hardest audiences, you know, are you know CEOs or doctors themselves who have come to me who are completely resistant, who look at me and say, "Yeah, right." <laughs> I'm not surprised, <laughs> right? But yes. then all I have to do is say, "Is do let's do a witness your physiology exercise, and you tell me, you tell me if how the body is reacting, and then tell me how you think that's going to affect." Your, you know, the rest of your life. And, so, and this is very easy for the listeners to do right now. I want you to, you know, if you close your eyes and just pay attention to your breath and pay attention to your chest and just, just be aware of it. Does it feel open, closed, relaxed, tight, have your life? And does the breath feel tighter or loose or is it fit fluid or a little bit short? And again, there's no right or wrong and you may not be able to tell yet, but you will. And then I say, I want you to think about a stressful situation, some, something that you're worried about, you're anxious about, you're sad about, or a person you're angry with. You, it's a situation you feel out of control about or anxious. And then just notice what you're feeling in your chest. Notice what you're feeling with your breath. Just notice that feeling. And then I actually don't have them stay in that state for very long. And right away, I say, now I want you to think of a situation of awe perhaps the most beautiful sunset you've ever witnessed, perhaps staring into the eyes of somebody you simply adore, watching your child walk for the first time, or, or gazing at the sunlight as it dances off the water on the lake. And then tell me what you feel. Does it feel open or closed, relaxed or tight, heavy or light? What is happening with the mind? And no people always, and can, did you just do that? <laughs> <laughs> you can notice right away everything lightens up. It's a physiological state that changes. The mind actually starts going into, yes, I can do this. And we know in medicine there's the placebo response, which people look at, you know, drugs, the efficacy of a drug versus a sugar pill to see if it actually works. Now, most, you know, pharmaceutical companies are looking to see whether that drug actually works. For me, I look at that data differently. I look at the power of the mind to actually make something happen without a drug. Well, that's how and you so, get your doctors involved and they and to be believers into it, right? That's right. That's, yeah, that's right. And and that's what your doctors want. They want you to participate in your health with them. They don't want to be the people to fix you because they can't. Right. We have to. We got two more minutes left. So I want to just. I want everybody to know what the title of the book is again. Your health destiny: How to Unlock Your Natural Ability to Overcome Illness, Feel Better, and Live Longer. Doctor Eva Selhub. Uh, but so, do we have a web? Oh, you have so much stuff. But so, tell us what we need to, <laughs> in, well, in one I minute. Do. I have. Yeah. I have a, a website of drselhub.com. That's drselhub.com, and there's everything you need to know there about my coaching programs. I've got online programs. 
I've got CDs. I also have a blog um, that I write about my, you know, my own personal experience or my reflections, as well as there's many blogs on Mind, Body, Green and, and Huffington Post. Um, of course, social media, I'm always posting things for, you know, people of interest or appearing and doing workshops. The book, you can get in pretty much any store and online stores. So just the blog, if we want to go to the blog, is, you write, is that a daily blog, your personal blog? Uh, no, I, I write it um, every sort of few days. So if you, okay. if you go to drselhub.com, you'll, you'll see it there. Okay, great. Great talking to you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been Yeah, fun. lots of obviously great information. Dr. Eva Selhub, Your Health Destiny, How to Unlock Your Natural Ability to Overcome Illness, Feel Better, and Live Longer. You've been listening to The Catherine Zock Show on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, I hope you have a great week, and we will see you next Wednesday. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 